Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 20. So COVID-19 continues to disrupt lives, strain economies, cultures, and families, and kill people. And as I said last week, until we're through this, we're always going to run through the following in the upfront. The CDC's identified symptoms for COVID-19 include runny nose, sore throat, fever, cough, and shortness of breath. If you are not feeling well, call your doctor. The World Health Organization's behavioral recommendations that everyone should follow. Wash your hands, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. If you have to cough or sneeze, do so into your elbow. Social distancing, avoid groups of 10 or more people and stay away from everyone as much as you can. If you're not feeling well, get checked out as soon as possible. And if you can work from home, do it. Okay. Last week, the WSL launched both The Vault and Rewind on WorldSurfLee.com, and the response has been awesome. These shows continue this week with yesterday's release of the 2002 Boost Mobile Pro presented by Billabong for The Vault, where the best conditions Lower Trestles has ever had for a contest were paired with some absolutely classic performances. And this week's Rewind will play the 2014 Hurley and Swatch Pro at Trestles, where the new guard of Jordy Smith, John John Florence, and Gabriel Medina shifted the paradigm on the men's side, and the first ever women's event at Trestles showcased just how gnarly the world's best surfers could be. Not to mention, this week's lineup guest makes a couple of appearances as well. Both shows are playing on worldsurfleague.com. Do not miss them. And that means it's Trestles week at the WSL. Spring is hit on the West Coast. Swells are starting to percolate out of the Southern Hemisphere, but stay home, everyone. We're still in quarantine. And the venue, long considered one of the most high-performance waves on the planet, needs to be celebrated. Maybe if we celebrate it enough, we can get a CT event back on the schedule. This week's episode of The Lineup at Low Tide centers around the culture and competition intrinsic to lower trestles and now features new segments like the Rearview and the Pandemic Survival Kit, to go along with the lightning round, as well as our usual long-form conversation. For our review segment, we were watching video while we recorded. If you'd like to watch along with us, and I highly recommend you do, you can do that on worldsurfleague.com. It will also be in the lineup playlist on the WSL YouTube channel. If you do stick to the audio-only podcast, just know there might be a few times where we talk about something you can't see. Our guest today is someone who is San Clemente royalty, and comes from a trio of brothers that took the torch for the beachside burb in the late oddies and continue to hold it to this day. He developed into one of the finest North American prospects of his generation and is an absolute hammer out at Lower Trestles. He was a CT rookie in the faded season of 2010, where the ASP reduced the men's field from 48 to 36 mid-year, and he went down to Andy Irons in Tahiti during AI's last run. Despite falling off tour, he continued to make an impact at the championship tour level as a wild card, as well as outside the jersey as a raw, power-based, hard-charging aerial monster. Recently retired from competition, he now exists as a world-class free surfer, artist, and connoisseur of all surf cordom. Please enjoy the lineup's low tide conversation with Tanner Godowskis. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. 
Okay, Tana Gadowskis joining us for the Lineup Podcast for another Low Tide edition, which is what we're calling these during the COVID-19 pandemic. It also gives us space to bring you back for a full lineup in the future, so there's a little bit of difference. But uh, both this podcast and you as a human being are being supported by Hydroflask today. So fortunately for me, I have my afternoon tea in my 12-ounce here. What are you running on your side? I've been running bubble water, but this is my go-to. I'll put, this starts as coffee. So this morning I woke up, it was coffee. Now it's bubble water. And then in a couple hours here, I'm going to put the lid on it. It's convertible now, but we're going to close it up with a nice beer. And that's kind of how my days have been gone. That, that is one hydro flask to rule them all. Yes. <laughs> well, that's excellent. How, how are you doing today? Oh, everything's good. Yeah, everything's been, I mean, the days have been pretty mellow. Um, not really too much going on, but um, they've been sunny. I'm stoked the rain stopped. So all in all, yeah, it's not bad. Did you surf yet? Are you going to surf? Are you surfing during the, the quarantine time? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I, I don't know. I don't really, either way. Like if you're going to surf, it's all good. And if you're not, it's, but for me, I think the personal decision is just, there's always going to be another day to surf. And it's like, if I can just do some form of helping out, whatever, not spreading it or not getting it and spreading it, then I think for me that I'll just take a breather. I've got plenty of yard work to do, so I stay busy. That's good. I guess it's helped. It's been like up in Ventura County, it's been like really nasty onshore spring conditions. So it's like cold and not that good. So it's not super seductive to get out there. Totally. I mean, it was funny because when it first started happening, lowers was still good. So a lot of guys were surfing it. But I think now like all the beaches are closed down and they're closing down. So I think it's kind of trending to maybe drying out those full suits a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, so because this is a low tide edition, we're going to try to rally around a singular topic and you already kind of teed us up. So, so the topic right now is going to be lower trestles or, or as I call it, the house of jealous performers. Um, if, if lower trestles wasn't a globally recognized spot, if it didn't have a name, if you were just a local at a spot that was unknown and unnamed, how would you describe the wave at lowers to another surfer? Well, I've had lowers described to me as probably Nathan Fletcher said it was the most egotistical wave in the world because as your ego, you can do whatever you'd like to do on the wave. So like when you take off, no matter what the wave's doing, you can basically form in what you want to do on that wave. So if I was to describe it to somebody, I'd say it's the easiest wave to surf in the world, both directions. It's a good description. The most egotistical wave in the world from Nate Flesher himself. Well, because if you think about it, like, in, I mean, it's could be taken both ways because there's so many egos in the line about there, but, but more in this personal sense of your ego trying to do your best maneuvers. And that's always why I liked having the contest out there because in terms of a performer and a high performance surfer, you kind of, you have to show, it's like, as close to a wave pool as you had before wave pools, because mm. you literally could probably surf a real similar wave, you know, three or four times in a heat. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide, you know, like it's, you kind of have to lay it all out on the line when you're competing there. Yeah. Do you remember your first time surfing it? Um, can you tell us about that experience? I don't like specifically have a crazy memory. I know that our dad used to take the three of us down to middles. And so I think we got pretty heavily into it around like 10 to 12. And I don't mm. think we were allowed to surf lowers specifically at that time. Kind of a different, like in San Clemente in general, was a bit of a different time than it is now. Like I would say growing up there was really cool because 
the crew really held it down. Like a lot of those guys back in the day, like Chris Ward, the Bessians, the Fletchers, Archie, Dino, like those guys literally were still at the top of the pecking order. John Robertson, Nate Yeomans, like Kenny Caldwell. I mean, the, the list, it's like, it was so strong. And the, in that time, it wasn't like Groms could just paddle out and you would get waves. You know, it's not, you would just get burnt, really. So we took a little while to get into it. And then, of course, once you you taste the forbidden fruit, you're like, <laughs> here comes every summer day for the next bit of my life. So, yeah. I remember that. I, I remember watching the Archie film that's so good. It's a Bill ba- the Bill Ballard film and all the guys that were talking about it in that era, which is like, I guess it's like late 80s, early 90s. You got like Potts and the um, like Dino and Snips and Chris Morrow and that. And they're like, we'd all meet up at T Street and surf T Street in the morning. And then we'd surf lowers in the afternoon. And I was always like, why wouldn't you surf lowers in the morning? But I guess it was just one of those things where it's like they were training and lowers was like, hey, lowers is still pretty good, even if the wind's on it. And like, I always thought that was kind of funny because I'm like, man, I'd be out there all the time if I could. I uh, I would say that probably like you almost see that now at lowers, like, you know, all the kids will hit it at the same time. I don't know what it is, but it's you'll be out there and then like 20 of like the most gnarly up and coming kids like Kid Matson, Dan Matson. Cole Hauschman, you know, the list literally goes on. They'll come down at the same hour and surf it. And I just laugh. I'm like, dude, like that's, you're surfing, you're making a crowd to surf against. But I think probably like it was back then. I know those guys were literally pushing the level like Martin Potter and Archie at that time. And I think that's like the Wave Warriors era. And like, I think those guys were just wanting to surf with each other and didn't really give a rip if the conditions were better in the morning. I mean, probably they weren't even waking up too early to get onto it at that time probably not i you know it's funny i moved uh, i moved up to ventura 10 years ago and every now and then i go back down there and i'll i'll go surf and i you know i don't mind doing the walk like if i have like a morning i'm like yeah dude it's like 20 minutes from the parking lot and i i think about things and i go have a nice surf and i walk 20 minutes back and then this last year when i was doing it a few times it's just the the herd of electric bikes that are like <laughs> blasting by me i'm like like it's not like dozens it's maybe hundreds some days where i'm just like what? i'm like a dinosaur just trudging along here on the, on the path it's intimidating i so because two years ago i moved down to oceanside so for me lowers i still surf it a fair amount but not nearly as much as i was surfing it when i lived in town and the way i get down there is like if i if i can't find a friend to drop me off then i'll i'll walk it so i've totally felt that and I can't hate. I've ridden electrical bikes twice, three times maybe, and it's a heck of a good time. Like you can't, like you can't wipe the smile off your face. But just when they come so close to you and you're on the path, you got your board. It's like a sail. There's like that weird. It's almost like a low grade train passing you. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, though? it's it's so weird. Like I and I'm same thing. Like I don't hate. Like I. I totally get it. It's such a it'd be such a time saver. You could have your like headphones in, you can listen to music, you can do phone calls, you don't have like your wet wetsuit, like getting your clothes all screwed up on your walk, like you can have it all packed away. I'm I'm really jealous, but yeah, I don't have one, so I just I do the walk. No, I mean like guys that have like margaritas in their hands. They're like leaving the beach, like <laughs> yeah. have a great surf. Like here's my like pre-mixed margarita for the ride up. Like it's so easy for them. Who were some of the surfers that you looked up to out at out at lowers as a Grom and and what do you think it was about their styles that particularly worked out at that that wave? That's a really that's a really good question. Um 
I'd say for me, I always joke that I've only surfed the lowers left. I surf the right more now, but so growing up, like specifically Cordell Miller was there every single day. And mm. his, he like always linked it so far into the bottom to the top and really a nice guy. And I'm trying to think, I mean, Nate Yeomans was huge for me. John Robertson was huge for me. Like that was like the first time I think I remember he was always really cool to me and his style. Like, you know, basically if you look at all those lost videos that came out, that was like in the backyard. So it was Chris Ward was surfing phenomenal and you'd see him every time you're at lower. So it's kind of hard to not be influenced by those guys, their style and their approach. Um, But specifically, like, I mean, I do have to say John Robertson was huge for sure. Cordell, um, Jeff Lukasik has always been a big influence for me because he, I like, like, I feel like for me, I surf the left in a sense of just trying to get the moves to fit the wave and he'll bypass a lot of the wave to just blast a big air. So it's fun to watch that. There's a ton of guys. I mean, that's the cool thing about it is there's something for everybody out there. Well, it's like you said it, I mean, the most egotistical wave, because it does make you feel like you surf your best. Like you're like, oh, wow, I, I know where to do my bottom turn. I know where the air section is. I know where to do a top turn. Stuff yeah. Like so uh, this week on worldsurfleague.com, we're playing the 2002 Boost Mobile Pro at Trestles for the Monday Vault. And I think in 2002, you would have been 13. Is that right? Probably was. I'm trying to think. Hold on just a sec here. I think I got it. This is the 2002. Yep. CT02 September. The best of lowers right here. The best, the best of lowers. Look at that. Did you go down to the event that year? Oh, guaranteed. Yes, absolutely. I think this is the year Kelly and is this the year Luke won? Kelly and Luke, Luke had the semifinal Mick together. In the final. Yeah. But it was also that year that Kelly, like, remember they had like two different expression sessions. They had like, the air show where like Kersey won because Kersey just turns up every 10 years and wins like a new round of air shows. And then they had like the boost mobile expression session and Kelly had like the best wave of the year where he did like four airs on one wave and everyone lost their minds. Yeah. Like it's so revolutionary right there. Like what? No way. That's right. And they, it, yeah, it was, it's, it's a time capsule, but yeah, sometimes it trestles though. That year was had like a really good hurricane surf. It was like a few feet overhead, but sometimes you don't want it that big there, like on those big hurricanes, because it's not, it doesn't hit the reef quite right. Like what's the ideal size, like for, from your opinion for trust? Yeah, for sure. I think if, it just depends who you're talking to. I mean, like you could even break down the lefts versus the rights. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to get mm-hmm. nitty gritty, because a little bit more west, the left kind of hooks at itself. And mm-hmm. then uh, smaller, I've always liked smaller, for sure. Like around head high, definitely. Once it gets double overhead, it's more of like a snowboarding experience. You're, you're, you the wave face is real slopey and it's kind of hard to link moves together. I feel like that's when Kelly really stands out is when it gets big because he's able to hold such long lines. And I mean, from a perspective of always watching guys surfing it, Kelly in those contests obviously was winning all the time. He just looks so good on the wave. Mick Fanning also looked really good. Mick Fanning was able to kind of like hold those really long lines and then once it would bowl up then he would get real snappy yeah the timing it's really it's interesting watching that and like even comparing guys like Guillermo Hurdy who made the semis and like Mick Campbell and like on that big day when it got a little bit unruly like Guillermo is still ripping but 
his timing was a little off. And so it can make you look like you're really out of sorts. Whereas like Mick Campbell was just, his timing was so much better. So it just looked like two different surfers. Yeah. And too, like when it's that size, it's you, you're kind of forced to surf the right a lot more. The left mm. is good. It's harder to find the good ones. So on your backhand, cause both those guys, Gil Hermie and Mick have really good backsides, but it's harder to go turn to turn now. But if that's smaller, it's actually way easier to just right. hit it a whole bunch of times. As far as your amateur career was concerned, you made the 2006 Open Men's Final with Casey Brown, Keiko Casimero, Granger Larson, Dude, Clay Marzo. What? Pull up a deep that like, cut. <laughs> yeah, deep cuts. That's what we're here for. Was that, was that, and you were the lone Californian in that final, was that kind of the high water competitive mark for you at Trestles before, you, before your professional career? Mm, yes, yes and no. I would say that when the QSs came around, I remember doing well in in those. I remember that there was the prime. I think I did a yep. fifth, a third, and a second, the back-to-back years. And each year, it felt like it was getting closer. There's the the final with Miguel Pupo when he got the yes. golden spike. And uh, and so that was really fun. The open men's, I just remember being with Mason Ho and both of us laughing because I don't think either of us got a wave in that final. Because back then, it was like 15 minutes, six guys in the water or whatever. <laughs> So you literally could just have 10 waves, yeah. (laughs) A bad stroke of luck, and then all of a sudden you're sixth. That's right. And so then that year that you finished second to Miguel, was that the year that you qualified? Was that 2009? I think it was. I I think it was. Yeah. And because your rookie year was uh, 2010, which was the year that the then ASP um, really reacted poorly to a Rebel Tour threat prior to that and decided, okay, we're going to give no one any warning. We're going to drop the number from the top 35 to the top 34 halfway through the year. And you got screwed. Like you got screwed on your rookie year. We can say that. Well, the only thing I think looking back on that, that I feel like I really wish I had gotten was to surf at lowers. That was the first event that I missed the cut on. But really though, like the, the time on tour was just, it was a really cool experience. Like that that was my takeaway was that you learn a lot by being at those events. And then, you know, of course I spent like the next however many years trying to get back on. So I really still had the passion to compete. And that was just a wild time. I think there was a lot of, a lot of change that I think a lot of good has come from the change. Ultimately, whether or not like that call to pull the guys off at six months or a full year, what it's, I mean, it all kind of washes out. It does kind of wash out. I think having been there, like in in those discussions, like I think we were rushed in a lot of ways because we were worried and we were trying to do the media rotation too. But I remember when they decided to do the excuse me the field reduction, they kind of announced it at the end of two thousand nine, where they could have just said, "Look, starting in twenty eleven, we're going to do a field reduction." Yeah, as to like halfway through the year, because you surfed really really well in those events. Like I know you didn't get the results you wanted, but you know, on the Gold Coast, you you had a close heat in round one and round two, like like very close. You kept drawing Fred Potatia like every event, but they're all really close and you'd lose with like 15 points. You had one of those what I call like those Cansdale years where it's like yeah, you, every other heat in the round you would have won. But just because you drew some guy that just had like half a point more, you know, it was just it was a tough one. And you got to compete at the Gold Coast, Bells Beach, Santa Catarina, Jeffreys Bay and Tahiti. You got equal 17ths in Brazil and J-Bay. 
did any of those other events kind of stand out in terms of learning experience for you on that rookie season? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do feel like even kind of reflecting on what you were saying, I was oddly validated. I think when you come on to it as a rookie, you're, you're really, you're really self-conscious of everything you're in, you're in the, you know, the boardroom or whatever it's called getting ready. And, and you know, people are looking at you and back, back then too, I feel like it was kind of a different time for rookies. It wasn't looked at as so much as like, hey, this is exciting. It was looked at like, hey, you got to prove yourself here mm. against us. So I, you know, I definitely remember, gosh, let me think about this here. I had a heat with B. Durbridge that was so rad at Winky Pop. And, and, uh, and that was, I know we both had eights and like I came and I lost that heat, but I felt like, it kind of like you said, like, oh man, I'm at least I'm getting good scores. Like if I don't really yeah. have much to be afraid of here, you know, in this realm. And and it didn't really work out. But the other one I was gonna say is Chopu. I knew yeah. so I knew I needed a result there. I needed to make the third round or something. And yeah. that year the event went to the very last day of the waiting period. But the first round surfed the very first day. So we had mm. well, however many days that is, 10 days in Tahiti so with no is. waves. Yeah, and I, I the draw came out and I literally had Andy Irons. And so I'm like, yeah. oh dude, you gotta be kidding me. Like, What do you mean the odds of me needing one heat and I'm just drawing the greatest of all time AI? And so I just had to marinate for 10 days on that thought which was actually really cool. I think about that trip to me, I, I had a lot of growth of like, I, it was almost like this soft thing where it, I was like, okay, like what happens if I get it? That would be amazing. What happens if I don't get it? Am I okay with that? Like all that, all that kind of stuff before I'd even surfed the heat. And of course, you know, Andy got the better of me there, but we had really cool words after it and he pumped me up. And like Andy, like he's such a good dude. Like when the jerseys are on, it was like psycho. He paddled me straight up around the reef, and then you know, and I, I, it was iconic. But then once we got into the boat, and we just had the most killer wrap out, and I really actually still remember that to this day of just like how genuine he was. So like an experience like that, almost in the long run, it makes you feel like you really were a winner there because it's like obviously I didn't continue on the tour, but all the experiences of those heats with those guys. I think I served against Kelly in Brazil. I did serve against Kelly in Brazil, and. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fun, man. When I look back on it, I really don't want people associating me with like, I'm bummed on the way it went down or whatever. Cause dude, I got nothing but, you know, good memories on the whole kit and caboodle. Of course. I remember that, that, that does jog my memory too, of how many lay days we had and it was so small. And when it's small there, like all the civilians, like some of the staff are like, I'll go surf chopes. It's like three feet. Um, and I remember the night before, the contest, like the swell kind of came up a little bit. Like it started, like there were a little kind of sets. It was like head high, a little bit overhead. And the judges and myself, we were out there kind of alone. And then this big boat pulled up and everyone started going out. Like Hobgoods came out and like, you know, everyone that was in the event came out and Kelly came out and we're like, oh, this is awesome. So we kind of moved down the reef just to watch. And I remember Andy came out and like it, like it, everyone at that level, so sharp and so good especially the guys at the top, it's like they, there's just not a lot of daylight between them it's like at a wave like that. It's so fun to watch because you're like, wow, look at where they're taking off and like look at look at how look at how they're drawing their line to generate speed or to shave speed off. And it, like Kelly's out there, like, you know, one of the best of all time. And like Andy was out there and he just was another level, even when it was small chopes above everybody. Like oh, it yeah. was it was just really impressive to watch like 
where he was taking off on the reef, like how late he was dropping in, like his positioning. He was just so comfortable out there. It was really cool. And he he ended up winning that event. That was his last CT win. It was crazy because in that event, so he beat me there, went on round three, round four, and then beat Patrick in the quarters. And yeah. that was the whole, Patrick did the flip, um, I think against Davidson, Corey Davidson. Chris Davidson, Davidson. I remember that. <laughs> That's all right. But it was like, it was so, it was that year. It was just so small and, and he needed the score. Oh at yeah. The end and everyone's like, but yeah, there's no barrels that he did the rodeo flip and he stuck it. And everyone's like, Oh, good. that's awesome. Good Dude. Job. Like I was sitting next to Nick Carroll who was, uh, board caddying for Davo and like, he was just beside himself. The pet had done a flip <laughs> and he was claiming they weren't going to give him the score. And I was like, Dude, if they don't, <laughs> if, right. if, if the score doesn't get thrown down, they can't score that at Chopes. You and I are going to brawl mode if that's not happening. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, so, so, so 2010 happens. You spend a couple more years trying to crack back on. It's, it's a weird time in surfing. There's, as you said, there's so much change happening. But then 2014 at the Hurley Pro Trestles, you get another crack at it. You get the wild card event. How, how did you get the wild card for that event? That was when Hurley was doing the local trials. So I got that. Yep. At, um, I think Mitch Cruz got it a couple times. Ian Crane got it a couple times. And my brother Pat got it a couple times. Yeah, the local trials thing, it's one of those it's one of those things that I think we should be standardizing at every CT event. Like we don't go to really any venue where there's not like a world-class community of surfers there, especially at that venue and if you have that one spot in the event, I, I know that traditionally we've the the event sponsors had the wild card and they've given them to sort of like young guys coming up or part of these sort of contract deals, etc. But that was a really cool thing that Hurley did where it was like no, there's like more than enough talent in the San Clemente community. Like we want to, we want to see like locals get into the event. Yeah, for sure. I think you could argue that by virtue of the WSL events being at these locations for as long as they have, they've basically created, you know, ponds of talent in those regions. Like Chopu now is literally held down by the locals on the biggest, mm-hmm. gnarliest days. And, you know, you go around the world. And it's just exactly like that. I think it's a great way to connect the local community. Coming from my perspective of getting that, it was definitely, for me, like when I look back on competing, it was definitely up there as like the top moment. So it it can make a big difference to people. I think think you're right because it's one of those things where, where the little kids growing up, they go to the coffee shop you know, the week before and they're like, they stand in line next to someone who's taking on Kelly Slater. Like that's such a big deal. And it doesn't matter if it's in San Clemente or Coolangatta or or Torquay or it, anywhere like Rio, like you know, Chopu. Like it's a big deal just to see people that are in their community get to surf against the world's best. Yeah, no, it is. It truly is. Well, and now we're going to watch your round one heat together for the first ever segment of the rear view. Well, let's let's get into it. Let me pull up my <laughs> second computer here. <laughs> All right, so here we are, 2014 Hurley Pro at Trestles, round one. Get to open up with some Chippa Wilson ad. It's pretty cool. Do you know Chip very well, Tanner? Uh, actually, I, I know him pretty well. Like, we don't catch up on the phone, but every time we see each other, he, dude, the guy's such a good dude. Are you kidding me? He seems like such a good guy. Who we got stumbling up the rocks here? That's the perfect way to start this clip right here. How many <laughs> times right. have we done that? World's best surfer just stumbling around. That looks like Rayoni Montero. Oh, it is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, look at Matt Wilkinson. 
Dude, why are we with our shirts off? This is concerning for everybody. Yeah. That's a rugged call. But yeah, so there we go. Bam. Matt Wilkinson's 22nd. Kelly's second. So how do you how do you approach like a heat again? Like, so you're your wild card, you're in it. What are you out to prove? Like, and how do you approach like round one against someone like Kelly and Matt? Well, this is a really interesting thing because Wilkinson, is this I'm trying to think. I'm just jogging through memory here. Is this isn't the year that Wilco was in the title race at this moment, was it? No, this is before he went on his rampage, but like we we knew he had really deadly weapons, right? Like you'd seen him. Like we knew he was a bit of a freak. Like he oh had yeah, I mean the first time. So I've known Matt for a long time. The first time I saw him surfing was when we were sixteen at the ISA Worlds in Tahiti, and he won that event. And I had never to that point I had never known of Matt Wilkinson, and he surfed freakishly good for his age. He had way more style and flow and form, and so Wilco's like, I mean, what he's done even outside of the jersey with rodeos, airs, laybacks. Mm. He was a freakishly good dude. So, so yeah, good. of course, like you're saying, like this heat right here with Wilco and Slater, that's a, I mean, I would be looking at that like a huge heat. Well, and Kelly, he's three years from his 2011 world title. He finished runner-up in 2012 to Joel, finished runner-up again 2013 to Mick. So he's still very much a contender in everyone's mind. I mean, you could even say Kelly's still a contender as he's going to step. Well, out I was going to ask if you still think he is in 2020. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, he's so like nowadays. I would say in the performance level, guys like Italo and Philippe and and Gabby, they're setting new levels of performance surfing. But Kelly's wave knowledge, his ability to just have good form on his board and his barrel riding is still at the top level. That's freakish. It's freakish. So these, this opening set with no priority, like, are you a guy that's like, I have to get the first wave, or like, I'm just going to hang back and wait? Like, how do you kind of approach this? How, what was your head like right now? Yeah, I mean, shoot, like, every day is different out there, but I'm, I'm, it looks like Kelly. I mean, Kelly, that's the thing about, that's what's so fun about surfing against Kelly out here. He uh-huh. has more, Jeez, literally good. more local knowledge than I do. So I take him <laughs> as, he does, dude. Like, I mean, he's surfed it more than I have, more than likely. And um, he surfs it just like ruthlessly. You know, he, there is, I would say the way oh, I've always bang. looked at it in, at lowers is that you'll probably get oh. about like 15, seven fives to come through, but there's always yeah. like two or three, eight fives and nines in a specific heat. And you just kind of got to watch it for a long time and say like, which one of these waves looks like it is easier to surf. Right. And so that opening wave for you, like what, you know, how, are you just kind of getting your feet in the wax? Like at some point you're like, this isn't going to be a score, but I'm just going to kind of put it on rail a little bit and just kind of push the board and get yeah. comfortable. Is that is that how you approach that? I've always, always, if I put a jersey on, I'm always the guy that likes to catch a wave early in the heat because I've never really mm. been good at sitting and feet being patient. Um, this is a Kelly replay here. Yes, dude, this is so this cool. Is We're going to like pseudo commentate this thing. Well, no, like half commentate, right? Oh, my God. Like, what is, how good was Kelly on those lyrics? Because he'd left Quicksilver. Remember, he had like, he'd he'd said goodbye to Quicksilver at Margaret River that year, but he hadn't left Channel Islands yet. Because remember, he he went, he ended up splitting from them and buying Firewire. And you and him rode for, you still ride for Channel Islands. Um, What was that kind of like when when he decided to leave? Was it, was it weird for you? Did it, did you not care? Like, what was that like? Well, I think. I mean, it was a big part of me wanting to be at Channel Islands. I'd say that mm. for sure. Like, I think growing up, that momentum generation, a lot of the guys were on Channel Islands surfboards. So 
being from California and it's here, you know, I think it was always looked at in my eyes as the most prestigious brand. I still see it the same way. You know, I, I respect Kelly for what he did. It's all good, but I just, I mean, it's, I just, I still just dream about these type of clips that we're watching Kelly on these boards. Like this might be the year, the Vulcan pro where he rode that epoxy forefin. Do you remember Mm. that? Those backside turns were out of control. Oh, for sure. Kelly, here's another right. Yeah, his flow, his form, he's able to get so much power and drive. And it's kind of exactly like we were talking about with Mick. Then he'll like swoop some crazy long line and then he'll just rip it, like poke it. Yeah, he just, and this wasn't even like, this is kind of a mid-sized one. Like he just kind of had a nice line and he's just, I mean, he's 42 here. Ah, I mean, he's just. I'm sorry. He's 42 so many weapons, air reverse. Right? Like, what's that? He just fully blue tail to an air reverse at the end of that wave. Yeah, just ho hum. Like he's he just he's got all these weapons. I, that looks like it's like a EPS board with carbon strips. Maybe. I think it is. What are your thoughts on EPS? Yeah, I like it. EPS is more. Uh, I don't know the word moody. It's harder to find a consistent good board with EPS. I'd say PU. You can maintain. You know, if you're going to get. 20 boards, probably the majority mm. of those are going to feel the same. Whereas if you get 20 EPS, it won't, all of them aren't going to feel exactly the same. They have a lot of characteristics within the board. Um, but this board, Kelly, I always loved it when he wrote epoxies. And he really, I do have to say over time, and he's stepped out of the box. He's written a lot of different stuff in heats, which is a big yeah. factor of confidence. Like, you know, you watch it and you think about guys who have, iconically ridden different boards over time. And that puts you in a whole nother realm. I'd say watching Tom Kern videos, like he's totally okay with longer, shorter, whatever Reynolds, Mm. you got to think back on that MTF heat in France and the dumpster. I mean, we're watching lowers. The dumpster diver year was beyond game changing. I don't know what year that was. Yeah. Can you consult the guru? he, He ended up losing to Mick in the final. Yeah. But he was, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I love it when I see the world's best, like, ride something a little different. Like, Kelly rode the wizard sleeve out at out at Gold Coast that year. It looked awesome. Um, here's Joel Parkinson. We're not going to get to hear what he's saying. I would what, are your, what, are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Joel, like, as a surfer? And, and where does he rank for you in the, the broader pantheon of, like, Australians? I think, I mean, that guard, the three degrees guard was just, you. I mean, there's just no getting around the fact that the three of those guys, Dean Morrison, Mick Fanning, and Joel Parkinson were so fun to watch. Parko, of course, oh. it's like Dr. Smooth. Um, and you would always look forward to certain locations. You know, J-Bay, obviously. Um, Bells, of course. The Gold Coast, of course. And Lowers. Lowers was Who always your, a spot. Who's where, your favorite if you had to pick one of the, the Cooley kids? I, I, I mean, I'm not afraid. Joel. It's like I love them all, so I'm not talking any sort of smack here, but Mick Fanning is just like white lightning, just the way that he is both on his forehand and his backhand. And yeah, I mean, it's gnarly. When I was coming up, oh, when I was younger, anyway, coming up, didn't end up anywhere. When, <laughs> when I was younger, um, Dean Morrison, like with the Volcom sticker and like the sun bleached hair and like he, like, he was kind of the early JS writer. I remember getting like Australian magazines over in the U.S. and be like, who is this dude? He surfs so well. And then I think he was in one of the early Jack Johnson films and like had a few waves kind of 
um, I remember it was shelter maybe or something like that. And, uh, I was like, man, this guy shreds, like who is he? And then you find out who he is. And he was always really liked watching Dingo, but I'm the same. And even before I got to kind of know them professionally and personally, like they, they were just such culture shifting surfers. Yeah. And, and I wonder if the three of them together really made that impact. I mean, individually, you could argue that they would all have changed a game, you know, but the fact that they came from the same area, same age, and they surfed together, they hung together. It was like when they came down to lowers in the morning and surfed, it was just, it was radical. It was because we were the Groms growing up that would surf the contest site (laughs) before the contest, you know? So we saw, as you were walking down in the dark, Nathan Hedge was fully suited up riding a bicycle out of there. And that only led to the legend of Hedgy, where you knew he was the guy out there first in the water. And Mick Fanning, Dean Morrison, Parco, Davo, like Darren O'Rafferty, uh, Mick Campbell, of course, Mick Campbell, Those like guys, the Ginger Ninja. Sure. Um, Ginger Ninja. Oh, here we go, Kelly. Bam. Oh. He likes to stay busy. Like once he, I think that last wave came in at an eight, and uh, it's he likes to keep his foot on the gas when he's in the lead. I wonder if I, what am I doing? I actually completely forgot. Well, you've got about priority, this I think, right? Do you like having priority or is you're just like, oh man, I wish I didn't have it because I'd just be catching a lot of waves? It depends. Like I would say everywhere, but lowers, I don't like having it, but at lowers, I do enjoy it. I think I know what I'm actually looking for at lowers. It's, and I guess, as you say before, sometimes there's like different swells where it's like there's a lot of waves. Like I'd rather maybe not have it and just stay busy. But then, as you said before, like there are some swells where it's like, you know which waves are going to give you potential nines. So you're like, I don't want to not get a crack at one of those, especially if it's got those summer lulls happening. That's the chess factor of lowers that is so fun. You're out there, you know there could potentially be a better wave out the back, and you're going to let Kelly Slater go on the first one of a set. It's like, how do you do that? How do you let the greatest surfer of all time have a perfectly peeling right-hander because you know he's going to deliver? And then have the confidence to sit out the back and and hope for the wave that you're looking for. So that was always kind of a fun little chess um, aspect of it. I'd say for me, the biggest actually event of learning at lowers was the one I didn't do, which was the one I helped Dimity Stoyle. She she uh, reached out to me to see if I'd help her with some lineups, and I was like, absolutely, I would love to. So we went, we surfed together, we broke it down. And then I would ride my bike down and watch every one of her heats and be in the booth or whatever and help her kind of get a game plan going. And it was light, but it was a little bit of guidance. And she got third that year. And I think it was definitely, I want to say, one of her better results. And I noticed myself then creating a game plan. It's almost like when you know how to do something, you have to learn how to verbalize it to somebody else to actually understand what you know. Yeah, you're wearing a different hat, right? So you're looking at it from a different perspective. And yeah, I can imagine that's that's hugely helpful. Oh, Stephen Bell. This was when he was still coaching Kelly after the Quicksilver split. But I think everyone was like, well, he's still coaching him. What like I've always wondered about like Belly and I love him. He I understand his value there, but like like surf coaches, like have you ever worked with one? I was wondering, like, what does a surf coach tell the best surfer in the world to do? Like, go off on the <laughs> Dude, I think honestly, it's almost like sometimes I would imagine Kelly's just got to talk some things out and be in mm, there mm. so that you can put something onto the plate. And you know, having somebody that you trust enough, Belly has been to all these locations f- for a really long oh, time. Here you go. You're up. So he would know 
good waves and bad waves. Mm. That Dave, did I just fall on my first turn or there? Like Gabby's like, no. I would have I would have torn the Well, so and and this was the year. So Kelly was in second coming into Trestles, and he and Gabby just had that mental 2014 final at Chopes, and Gabby was in the front of the rankings. So yeah. Wait a second. Looked- so Gabby's number one right here? Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, okay, so just, take me I back. Think he so, took it in Tahiti and he never lost it. But he always, he's so young there, right? He's 20, oh, it's KP, Snake maybe. Look at Charlie's glasses. My goodness, dude, the yellow. Yellow, that's before the the yellow jersey, is it? I think this might have been the first year. I think I think he is running it at this at this stop. Um, but he always, even before he won his titles, he always kind of carried himself with like that kind of confidence. You know, like you can kind of tell. Gabby? Early on. I mean, the guy won two out of his first five CT events when he got on in 2011 at the mid-year point, right? Yeah. Oh, Todd and Ace. Oh my God, how good's Ace bucking? Should I just He's all good, answer is if I'm Ace right here? Todd's Todd <laughs> <laughs> That means I gotta be Todd Klein. We're both goofy footers and I'm big in Japan, Ace, and you're big everywhere else. What do you think of that? <laughs> oh, did Todd. Well, well, it's crazy that he's uh, no longer with Hurley. Did that did that surprise you? Ace is no longer with Hurley. No, he was one of the guys at the end of last year that that they parted ways, and he was like one of their first guys. You know, that's kind of the surf. Surfing is just in a really interesting spot right now. There's just a lot of different things happening. I'd say Hurley that week, that massacre week of who's on, who's um, off, why is it happening, um, was rattling to watch that. Yeah. And he's so good. Like he's so good pretty much everywhere. Like he can win in beach breaks. He can, he's so good at chokes. He's yeah. He's one of those guys too. Like I think Ace and I are about the same age. I'm I'm about to turn 37 and um, I admire like the way he's committed to like his fitness and his flexibility. And it seems like he's only gotten like stronger and better. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's not over Dave. Like you could, (laughs) you could surf better than ever if you wanted. Start looking at Kelly, but I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Ace got his, he got one of his highest results at the wave branch this last year, right? He made the, oh yeah. I mean, I think that that wave in particular, like guys of like a very high, like technical aptitude, like Ace, like, or Kanoa, like guys like that surf it and girls surf it so well, because it's just one of those ones you kind of have to have your technique down and be ready to rip. Totally. And have good form. Oh, I got a replay here because we missed it in real time here. Oh, Wilco on a sweet little honeysuckle, right? Yeah, Wilco's backhand is just, there's so much swing. He gets so much, like, rotation out of everything. He's got a wide stance, too. It's funny, because in that 2002 boost event, like, Luke wins, and Luke's kind of got a narrow stance. Like, his knees are pretty close together. Oh, man. He's got him on rotation. You took the left, right? Dude, this is a crazy heat. (laughs) If I'm coming out on top of this, like, what did I do? (laughs) Stay tuned for the thrilling conclusion. <laughs> dude, what happens next? Here. <laughs> oh, dude, you hammered that thing. What's that board you're writing? That, so that was this, that's a, there's a funny story on that. There, that is a off the oh, grid. Dinner. Look at Dane Donis, dude. Lineup podcast alumni. Wow. He is in the alum, isn't he? That's so fun. But yeah, that board was a rockered out. It's off a cheese stick. We cut off like three inches on both sides and then put a K-whip tail on it. And we were calling it the Shadow Facts because that's Gandalf's horse in Middle Earth. And every time I ever did well at lowers, I was on one of those boards over the course of like three or four years. I would just reorder them. Are you kidding me, dude? 
Well, and so explain that to me and everyone else. Like, so if that board's the magic board, like how come the shadow facts doesn't become like a consumer facing model from CI? Well, I, I think it is cool at time. You know, of course I wish it, it did. That was also the board that I got the third in the CT. I don't know what year that was a couple years after this um, and all those QS events. So over time I started to think like, this is a very good lowers board. Um, however, that's the cool thing about Channel Islands is it's a it's sort of a round table of everybody's decision making. And so if a model comes on and the team's like, hey, I'm not getting good boards off this or I am, things can change. Like the Tilo on the opposite side of that, I rode and then Reynolds grabbed it and he made the final in France on it or got mm-hmm. third. And that was like a humongous green light to the Tilo coming as a model. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. What board do you think Kelly's riding in this event? I think it's a Fred Rebel round pin. I know he was mm. all over those. Yeah. What, what's your favorite Kelly board? I mean, I have, I still have a wizard sleeve that I love. Really? Like, <laughs> like when would you ride the wizard sleeve? Everywhere. I ride it like, I would ride it like as a quad at like overhead restaurants. And then I will ride it like in like little crappy, whatever. Like it, I, one board to rule them all, you know, like, and I, that's the thing. Like I, I remember Midget Smith shaped me like an EPS board and like, I don't know, 06, 07. And I was like, that's it for me. I, I'm stronger, lighter. I don't get 20 boards a year. So I, you know, I'll just take these ones and like these quiver killers where I'm like, can I just take one board somewhere? Because when you work on tour, if the waves are good, you're probably working. Like you guys are out competing. And so we often just kind of like surf whatever. And, and the scraps are awesome. Like we get really good scraps, but you know, you can get by with kind of, you know, uh, just a, a shorty that's like a real versatile shorty or even like a groveler fun guy. That's what I've noticed a big thing coming off tour and transitioning away from contests is when you're doing contests, let's just use the guys on tour or let's just use Patrick as an example right now. So Pat's still doing the QS. He's really refining, tuning in on his fevers. Uh, his like he has a Fred whip that he loves in small waves. So he has to. Because at that level, you can't really sacrifice like riding other stuff if you're missing the chance to get your, you know, Willy Wonka golden ticket off the QS to the CT. And you would almost be raking yourself over the coals if you did. But once you step away from it, you realize that you can ride a lot of different boards in a lot of different ways. And it just allows the freedom of expression. You know, I think like Dane was kind of tapping in on your guys' podcast, which is like, you mm. just want to do things differently than you have because you want to reconnect with that natural freedom that surfing gave you. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things, too. It's like, I mean, not not every heat has the best waves on tour, but like they're all like really high quality waves. So sometimes riding that equipment doesn't necessarily translate to like surfing your local beach break. You're like, that's just I got that board, but like I don't <laughs> I can't do that. So. Yeah, you almost are afraid to pull the board out. You're, you sometimes get a well, little scared and, of that. Yeah. And yeah. And it's like, maybe, maybe your home break gets like world-class, like, you know, 10% of the year. But if you're riding that other board, the other 90%, maybe the the comfort you have and the familiarity you have with that, or that 90% board, you're, you're better off just at that, in those 10% conditions. Oh, Ian Folk. He's like a Godowskis adjacent brother. Look at too, to the right of him is a Dur Letamendia from Pukas. He was staying with us during this event. It was always really fun when the event would come to town. People would just want to, they'd, they'd reach out and we had a lot of people staying at our house during it and everybody would just come down. And I, I want to say Patrick 
ended up beating Kelly the year after this, I think, man on man. And that was huge because we were down there watching that thing and then had a huge support crew. And it felt like it kind of goes back to your local wildcard conversation where it brings its own entourage of people who are connecting with the event. And Stu Kennedy on the Gold Coast would be a great example. Adam Robertson at Bell's phenomenal yep. example. I mean, you 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 really can understand that the community wants to see the people in it do well when they're showing up on the beach and supporting. It's always fun watching it on the webcast, like seeing who is down there. Yeah. So you guys need scores right now. You got eight minutes left. What what's going through your brain? I have no. I mean, honestly, like, could you imagine? I'm almost probably at this point thinking Slater's got this thing in the bag. He's got 15 total. <laughs> you're relaxed. You're like, yeah, it's, I'll get another crack at it. <laughs> yeah, like, all right, cool. Stoked about round two, right, guys? What about what about the horror stories about Kelly's like mind games in the lineup? Did, did he talk to you or did you talk to him? I actually, so, and, and again, that's the best thing about those mind games is that you'll never know if they're true or not. But I was <laughs> saying that I surfed against Kelly on tour made me think about that exact moment where I was in Brazil and... When I was on tour at that time, it was just Patrick and I. We didn't really have a coach, so we would just travel to the events by ourselves and get psyched up for the heats and just kind of like, where are we at? What are we doing? And so Pat's like, just run down early because you don't want to, like, Kelly's going to try to do some trippy mind games. Get out of here. And you just go down there, get in your zone. So I literally run like a half a mile down from the contest site where there's nobody on the beach. And I'm like, cool. But then I start doing that thing of where's Kelly at? So I'm looking back at the contest <laughs> and I, I don't even see him. I hear all this huge fr- frenzy of people like screaming. And there's like somehow bongo drums in my memories. And and then he, Kelly war, Just runs war drums, the, the drums in, of war. He runs the entire beach to me. So he oh, and no. everybody's following him. And so I'm looking at it coming at me. I'm like, are you got to be kidding me? And he comes over to give me a high five. And it's like, hey, good luck. Have fun. Let's have some fun out there. And I was just going like, dude, I'm scrambled. Like, what? I just fully got mind game. Yeah, big Tyrannosaur coming at you. He was a Goliath. <laughs> Those guys are, I mean, I was really fortunate to have, I had Bead, uh, Andy, Kelly. I wonder who else. Freddie, for sure. And they were just, they were titans of it, man. Like, I think the mm. older guys on tour, they become so entrenched in what that life is. And they really actually... They're, they were larger than life to me because I was a stoked surf grom coming up and then having to kind of battle against going against your heroes. It's a cool it's a cool moment in time. I'm sure kids now are doing that with the guys, but it seems like the top guys are younger. Like it's almost like a new guard. Yeah, like you could be a rookie, but facing a world champ that's like a few years younger than you these days. How old is Italo? 25. Oh, you're up, dude. Is this how I do it right here? <laughs> you run out of time you better get you better get moving if it's not here that looks sick oh man gem dude get the vert salad out dude you're pretty good at surfing wow so those rights are good they go for a long time <laughs> that was the problem that must be your wave i can't like kelly's i feel every time pat and i were in the event we somehow had kelly or around you're kelly. fired up look at the paddle you can back out there I mean, I'm going against Kelly Slater, dude. Have you ever seen black and white? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, walk us through the replay. All right. I will say that this is a this was something, and then this came in against Wilco a couple years later in an event, is if it's weird and windy down the line, don't overcook your first turns. Like that was, mm. I set the first one up so that I could get big on that second one. 
That's always a yeah. big thing because you want to come out of the gates heavy, but sometimes lowers sets up a little further down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think the timing on that one, you know, provided you so much opportunity, and that's probably that that local knowledge, right? Ah, oh, that board looks so good. It just fits the pocket so well. Now, I mean, really, on the back end there, it's a, it really is about getting vert, getting a good flow. I mean, I watched the way that Medina does it or did mm-hmm. it when those events were still on, and he is just so fun to watch because not only does he go vertical, I always felt like going against guys like him. I just didn't have that extra gear of Medina could throw a shove it. He could throw like that nose pick. And competitively, I, I always stuck to the fundamentals, which probably was like an ace bucking program where, you know, you might, if you stick it on a couple eights, majority of the time you might make that heat. But um, we definitely had a lot of fun out there. That's for sure. Here we go. Yellow jersey, oh, yellow, yellow glasses. Jersey, there it is to go with the glasses. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Lethal. Run the swallowtail too. Big fan. Is that Carlos? Carlos Munoz. Yeah, this is fun, Dave. Thanks for getting me in tuned on this. This is kind of lifting up my COVID-19. <laughs> Your quarantine spirits. This is great. The rear view rules. So, okay, so what do you think I got on that wave? I need an 8-3. Um, jeez. 8-5. So I got it on that wave? I don't know if I got it, dude. Do what? I? What, did you get another? You won the 8. <laughs> you get another one here a buzzer in the last beater, though? It might be. Oh, no, I got it. Okay. Oh, it doesn't say what score it is. 14.93. Would have been around 8.5 then. That's cool. Here goes Kelly. Inside right. Dude. No whammy. He doesn't need much though, right? He needs like a, a mid-score. So he probably... <laughs> you don't want that. I love Kelly. He always... like He would do random stuff out there too. Remember that year he got the barrel? It was somehow mm. like a le- legitimate barrel. Yeah. Now, I remember Bruce got a barrel one year too, and it like scored so high, but it was like a real shitty head dip. And you're just like, what the fuck? All right. So, what are you thinking? You've got two minutes, you've got the lead. You know, oh, poor oh, Gainer. He's thinking more importantly, oh my, it's, it's way more. He's looking for distractions. He's like, what, anything, anything but these last two minutes. He's <laughs> totally looking up at uppers, going, like, is that a set? <laughs> oh, here goes. Shark on the inside. Definitely still stressing if Kelly's standing up. Oh, he needs a seven. He needs something huge. Well, here we go. Oh. First step. Oh. I don't know if he would have got around that section. I don't know if... Oh, poor Dane. Poor Dane, dude. He's losing years on his <laughs> life. Do you see that? <laughs> He's just losing losing years of his life on this heat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's... I'll tell you that last minute when you're in a situation like that is the longest time has ever felt. I mean, this is round one, but like, sure. you got to think about some of the guys who have sat through some finals and things have worked out and... It's pretty, it's time really is a relative thing when you surf heats because sometimes you snap your fingers and it's gone and other times you literally remember every literal second of it. Was there, I mean, you know, we talked about you didn't get your opportunity out there when you were a rookie and was winning round one against not only Wilco, but Kelly. Like, was there a bit of a weight that was lifted for you? Like, was did you feel validated? Like, you know, I am as good as these guys. Uh, you know, this feels great. Like, did it feel better than other heat wins, I guess is my question. I don't know. Like, I definitely don't remember. I don't remember how I felt here. I definitely remember the third at lowers, which I believe, again, I don't know the exact year, but that mm. to me was the validation of like, wow, I can, you know, I think it probably was a brotherly thing, but at that time, Pat hadn't Pat had been on tour since I fell off and hadn't gotten a semi. And then as a wild card, I was able to get the semi, and and those that goes back to that brother rivalry, which was literally the only reason I was still competing at that time was to just still be able to do it with Pat. 
Um, so it was cool. Like it came back into the house and then that pushed Pat to get the third at Bells, I'm sure. And, um, and obviously Pat's still got more oomph in the tank. So it, did Kelly say anything to you after this heat? Did he just bump or anything? He, Kelly is awesome, man. Like I, I really like as much as people go like Kelly's dudes does the mind games and stuff, but he's been so cool to Patrick, Dan and I, he's always come down to the Stokoramas. I think we had a Stokorama this year during the event and he still took the time to come down like after that whole so, heat. so which again i think he smoked me in round three right yeah well, i was about to say so so you win round one you get to go straight to round three and it was at that time when the format was like you're probably going to run into the same people time and time again hence the fred potatia thing from <laughs> yeah and uh you lost to kelly in round three and i i mean i guess it happens right well, it not even just happens. It's like in a situation like that, as a wild card or somebody coming up, you have nothing to lose. So you go out there, you try your hardest. And if it actually doesn't work out, it's a, just a rad experience. I definitely, I remember kicking out of all of these CT heats, just actually thankful because it's, you don't, a lot of times on the WQS, you lose heats and there's a couple factors that are frustrating where it's bad conditions, uh, it, just a crazy, crazy call that can go down or nobody sees it. And so you're kind of like on the CT, you, you, you don't have it as much because people are watching. So they're connected to it. The guys you're surfing against are your heroes. The waves are going to be good because the calls are that way. And, and so it is truly like a treat. So who are the best surfers out at lower trestles today? And why do you think they are? I've actually was just talking to Dane about this. And I think Cole Hauschman to me is coming up. He's going to make a huge impact. He's massive, good style. He's a goofy foot. He has all the tricks and power. Um, Chloe and Dino is the, is the kingpin I'd say. And Griffin, like those guys mm. are um, sharing a lot of it. And then Crosby and Jet and Cade just under them. And there's a whole slew of kids. Like it, there's got to be a 30 to 40 kid pack out there. If you get younger than that, you got to go into like Tyrone Fomenko. And then uh, if you really, really want to get young, then John Wallace's kids, um, Eden and Zion are next level. I don't know. I think Zion's like eight. And one of the rad things that you and your brothers do are the Stokerama events. They're both for boys and girls or for everybody. And, and I do think that there's a total, like there's totally connective tissue between stuff like that and then the development pathway for young surfers. And we're seeing a lot of young women come up and surf really, really well. Who are, who are some of the ones that have stood out for you lately in San Clemente? Well, I mean, it, that's super true. Samantha Sibley is making a huge impact. Kira Pinkerton making a huge impact. Um, there is a massive group of girls uh, in general, I would say globally at that age. Um, mm. I think it, it comes down to surfing being fun, more girls doing it. There's packs of them. And it is true that Stokorama is really it's given us the ability to stay connected to the younger kids and kind of be there to let them know that even if they're competing, it is fun. It's more than a contest. It's like you make friends that way. And, um, yeah, I think, wow. I mean, we, I mean, Samantha Sibley though is, is she's, she's legit. She's legit. Right. Like I was just watching some footage of her. I'm trying to think like mighty mouse, we call her, but her name's Mia, um, Remy Todd. These are really young girls, but they're just, they're so fun. And, have a great time so so in addition to the positive vibe warriors foundation that you're working on with stokerama you're living in oceanside you're one of vans's super surfers you retired from competition was last year uh yeah the triple crown last triple crown triple crown that's right you 
you seem like, you know, you're a massive creative too. Like you're constantly working in like zine kind of format. You're doing the VH1 connoisseurship. Like what are you into these days and what, what kind of drives you um, agnostic of the pandemic if we weren't doing that? Like, agnostic of the pandemic. Yeah, let's get past pandemic. COVID-19 past is gone. Let's start thinking past the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, surfing is, I think for Pat Dane and I always has been, the ability to connect with as many people as we can. And I think even when we're competing, we're always still doing the art, always trying to make videos and, you know, surf big waves, surf small waves, get barreled, do errors, and just kind of respect and be a part of all parts of it. So I felt a little awkward when I did, you know, retire from competing because that was at the time for sure, just one bucket of what I was contributing and I think a lot of people are like, dude, like you're young. Like, why are you competing? Like, or why are you uh, retiring? And yeah. I just kind of had lost the passion in that realm uh, to keep going for it. But it doesn't mean I'm not a super fan. I still watch all the heats. I was setting alarms to watch Pat in Australia and I enjoy it and being around it. Um, but I do like now it's put me into a really good space of um, just trying to be as creative as I can in as many places as I can kind of every day trying to um, just get involved on making something like literally sometimes just with my hands, like I do scrapbook. I had, you know, I've done one a day for as many days as I can. I, I've been live streaming in this time, uh, all my VHSs out of my room just cause we're on lockdown and trying to get people excited about, you know, surfing and, and the surfers that I identified with when I was growing up. And it's funny cause you realize like, I'm just cold calling guys. Like the example today was, cold called Timmy Kern on a FaceTime. And then I texted Kalani Rob like 30 minutes before I went on and said, Hey, would you be down? He's like, dude, hit me for sure. And I think all of us just eventually realize no matter what you do within surfing, you just identify as a surfer and you're a part of that culture and family. So it's actually quite easy for us to connect. Like yesterday I talked to Ozzy Wright and, you know, I've been talking with Ramachado, Kelly Slater, and it's just like, they're down to help somebody out in the family to try to, you know, actually push what they did forward to the next generation is kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, but yeah, the zines are super fun, photos, art, but it's basically surfing is just a way to artistically express yourself as well. So. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that, you know, especially right now, everyone's just like, oh, well, like, what am I going to do? And I, I always, I mean, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I think we also both came up around the same generational space where it's like, yeah, I'll watch the contest. I'll watch this video. I'm just, it's all surfing to me. I get excited about it. And so for people that want to watch you streaming your VHS, um, you know, Scrooge McDuck goldmine of, uh, of, uh, of surf videos, how do they do that? They find you on Instagram and then they're watching through Instagram. How's that work? So what I did, and this is cool, this, the way that we had to do this today was a perfect <laughs> example of uh, you start with an idea and then, okay, now I have a timeline. How do I get this done? So I announced that I wanted to do that because I really wanted to. I was just watching those videos. So then I had to realize, okay, I got to go to Wix.com, make a website, never done that, and then uh, do the YouTube thing and learn how to live stream something, get an encoder. So basically... I have top level respect for the webcast at this moment because I understand exactly <laughs> how hard it is to run. And, but it, it just proves nowadays you can do whatever you'd like to do. But if you want to tune in, which I would highly suggest, like guys are stoked to be a part of this. Mick Fanning's in, uh, Shane Dorian's in, Ramachado's in, like the heroes. And 
and the way that they connect, we actually learned yesterday that Magnaplasm's Bruce Iron section was actually edited to a Black Sabbath song. So we played it to both songs. And it's just like those fun little tidbits are so black belt surf nerdiness that I just love. So if you want to tune in, the whole thing is called the Paradise Awareness Outreach, which kind of basically is what it is. It's just saying, hey, Paradise, like let's just still be aware that life is good. And the outreach part of it I thought was just funny because it's a time, you know, it's like we're all locked in our own homes, literally. So um, I think it's perfect, man. I think it's so rad. So if, you, if no one's checked it out yet, definitely make that part of your your quarantine routine. On that topic, we've, we've got a, a segment called the Pandemic Survival Kit. So this is where we're going to come up with recommendations for what people could be eating or reading or watching in this time. So a couple things. Um, what is one food that you found you eating way more of than you imagined during the, the quarantine? <laughs> um, I'd say oatmeal. Man, I was going to say the same thing. I've got like steel cut oatmeal. I'm, I'm, you know, I like oatmeal, but I just feel now I'm like yeah, every day. It's just part of my routine. Every day. Let's stay on it. You can make it cheesy. You can make it sweet. You can do fruit. It, it's great. Yeah, essentially it's just a, it's a canvas for you to paint on. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's a bland canvas. All right. So for feeding your mind, what is one book recommendation? Um, oh. you, you give to people? Book I've read. Just recently? Sure. Yeah. Actually, I read a pretty interesting book called, I believe it's called This Is Not a, This Is Not About a T-Shirt or This Is Not a T-Shirt. And that's uh, The Hundreds. Do you know The Hundreds? It's like a streetwear. Yeah. So he wrote a book and it's really cool. And that was really inspiring. Basically talking about how he started out of his house because he felt like there was a need in that space and place for street fashion and was just screen printing T-shirts, him and his friend. And he talks about, the ups and downs and how to stay core. And there's a lot of really good takeaway on that. So I'd recommend it. I've been reading, um, I've been, I've been, I restarted um, Meet Me in the Bathroom by Lizzie Goodman. I got this like a year and a half ago and I started it and I really liked it. And then I lost it and then I didn't reorder it. And then since the pandemic, I reordered it and then I restarted, but I forgot where I'd left off. So I ended up like rereading like a hundred pages, but it's essentially about, the return of rock and roll culture to New York um, in the early oddies with like the strokes and Interpol. And it's really interesting. It's just, it's just, it's, it's not, there's no like prose or narrative. It's all quotes. So it's like all these band members are quoted and all these like music people are quoted and like all these like journalists are quoted and they're just telling this story and it takes you through like the yeah, yeah, yeahs and um, LCD sound system and the killers, like all these people that kind of came through and, and brought the center of rock and roll back to New York. And I'm not like a big music guy, but like, I, I like history. It's, it's been pretty good. Well, that's a good combo. I mean, you, you got to like some rock and, and too as well. It's nice to learn, feel a little bit more fortified in the knowledge of it. For sure. Okay. So that was feed your mind. So for rest your mind, what is a TV show that you've been watching since the quarantine? Oh, okay. This is a good one actually. Cause I can, I w this is perfect. So, so my fiance and I, we watch TV every night. And it's basically, if it's me with a clicker, it's a documentary, some weird, like, really anxiety-ridden, like, thing that we're learning about. And if it's her, like, it's something fun, uplifting, we'll get into cartoons or or this new one is New Girl, literally. But it's Zoe Deschanel and she lives in a house with, like, three guys. And it's been awesome because, 
it is a little bit of a dark, uncertain time in our lives. And, and we were watching other shows and we just, we were having trouble, you know, we'd wake up in the middle of the night and just kind of be like, wow, like I'm feeling unsettled and new girl. It's just nice to kind of escape it a little bit and just laugh. That totally makes sense. I, I got into uh, Tiger King on Netflix. It's like a documentary. A lot of people have been talking about it. It's, I must like, it must map to my profile because I've been getting pit pushed with it. And it's a, like a docu-series about like crazy, like big cat owners, like people that own like 200 like tigers at these like wild animal parks. And um, the guy, is, the main guy is named Joe Exotic and he this looks bananas. And um, it, like people are like, you got to watch it. It gets so crazy. I'm like, it looks crazy just from the artwork. Like you don't have to sell me. They're like, you have no idea. And so for anyone, I won't spoil it, but like I started watching the first episode and was basically like, all right, so I'm just going to watch this for the next 10 hours or however long it is because I can't turn this off. It's it's crazy. That's pretty scary with the binge factor. Like, oh, here, here's three seasons of this. You might like it. You're like, oh, what? Yeah, so so on the non-Shelby nights when you're not watching New Girl, you might you might start clicking over to Tiger King. Oh, heck yeah, I'll keep it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and the last one for the pandemic survival kit is Feed Your Heart. What is a movie or film recommendation you have for people? Okay, well... I mean, surf movies, beat it. Just keep looking at them. I promise you, they make you feel better about getting in the water at some point in your life after this is all done. That's right. You're going to feel the froth. The froth tank's going to be overflowing by the time you get back in the water. I, um, I've got six-year-old twins, and we, we got Onward, the Pixar movie, um, the other day. And uh, it's really good, and it... It buckled me like at the end. I've not cried in a while. And I was just like had to leave the room because I was like, oh, my kids are like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Keep the lights good. out. <laughs> that's that's right. Don't don't look at me. How trippy are sometimes those the the uh cartoon movies have really strong themes in them that oh as a God. kid you'd watch them and of course like your kids, you're like, Oh, that was so fun. And then as an adult, you're watching it like, oh my gosh, they're bridging some real gaps here oh yeah no that's a good one i recommend it um even if it doesn't make you cry it's still entertaining cool so that's the pandemic survival kit we've got one more segment before we go this is the lightning round so we've got 10 questions you're gonna answer them as fast as you can you should make this the white lightning round you should have uh, it be presented by mick fanning that would be so heavy chair we should i could get some like 21 inch length board shorts off him you should have like his lemmy and mart like Lemme! <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. So 10 questions. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, what do you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Big time. Every day. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Well, that was good. We talked about that, actually. This is not a... It's something about a t-shirt. <laughs> this is not about a <laughs> it's t-shirt. It's not about a t-shirt, right? Yeah. We'll make it up. If, it, if it's not written, we'll write it. Sounds good. Best surf film ever. <laughs> what? Don't even ask people that question in the lightning round. That's... Oh, man. Come on, man. That's... You've been... You've been, you've been try, yeah. You, you can just say the best one you've released today. Okay, so I would say, yeah, today was Tim Kern here and now. And uh, what now? 
But I would say if I had to have only two in my life, because I can get you close there, that would be searching for Tom Curran in a documentary. Mm-hmm. Good choices. One wave you never have to go back to. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, okay. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people are going to say like Brazilian QS spots, but I always had a good time. But, you know, maybe on the wrong tide. Maybe I had, I won't go back there on the low tide when the wind's nuking on shore. <laughs> sure. Uh, only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Oh, man. That's a really good question. Rocky Point. Random. Where did that come from? I don't know. Let's go with it. <laughs> that was like, where's the last time I had a good session? <laughs> um, best person to share a lineup with. Oh, that's so fun. There's so many of those guys. Uh, I honestly really enjoy Dane and Pat. They're just, they're good blokes. Worst person to share a lineup with. Oh, the dark side. Um, that's a guy who, coin, my friend. he catches a lot of waves. Um, Who's that? I, I don't really mind that if they're not the same waves I catch, but uh, who would be a guy I don't want to, I don't know, man. Honestly, sometimes you rock up at those, uh, the CT events before the event. So we could say, I would not like to surf in those times. Like, don't mm. take me to snap a rock before the first day of the event's about to start. Yep, that's fair. I've been there many times. All right, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Having a beer. Tanner Gadalskis, thanks for joining us for the lineup, buddy. So that's it. That's the lineup at Low Tide's conversation with Tanner Gadalskis. I hope you enjoyed the discussion as well as the new segments. As Tanner mentioned, he's doing some really cool stuff on his new website, theparadiseawarenessoutreach.com. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. We'll continue to have these conversations and release lineups every week. Please have a listen and let us know what you think. If you haven't already, please download, listen, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. We've got some really positive and kind reviews, and that really helps the podcast spread and lets us continue to do more. So if you have time to open up your podcast app, give us five stars or whatever you feel is fair and leave a review. It would really help us out a lot. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of The Lineup at Low Tide. Hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you then.